Meditation doesn't have to be sitting still and having an empty mind. The journey is such a beautiful thing because we are all on a journey. You want to make sure you have some kind of distribution plan, or at least have an idea of it, because you can make this really amazing film and it only gets seen by your family and friends. Old Hollywood is still intact. Every horse runs hard, but when they win, and they know it. They've got this little sass about them. It was pretty rough. I had to go into the water and with my med pack, swim to the beach, treat these guys, put them on my back, swim out to the helo. And I'm like, oh my God, I've never seen those before. And I said, what are those? And before I could even finish the sentence, she said, oh my God, you didn't touch them, did you? Even if monarchs go away and we never see one again, because there never will be monarchs again if they die out, it is just a little indicator of larger threats my dad said, so what were you guys doing in the desert? And I said, we were taking nude photos. Hey everyone, welcome back. I hope you had a great week since the last time that we got together. I had so much going on this week that I just wanted to put out a short Just Me Talking to You episode about graduation. It's graduation season, as everybody knows, and um, I had the honor of attending three graduations in the past week, two of them at the same place. So it's been a lot of fun. And of course, graduation means celebration. We're celebrating hard work and dedication and things like meeting goals and broadening perspectives, creating new relationships, And yet, at the same time, students are narrowing their focus on the details of whatever their academic interest is by understanding it better. I mean, this entire college journey, the the associate's degree journey, the bachelor's degree, onto the master's, onto PhDs, and beyond, It's literally like reaching up into the sky to grab onto a comet and hanging on for the crazy ride of multiple challenges. I mean, there's so much that happens. And a lot of it involves making room for change, room for new things, like making room in your brain for new concepts and then becoming comfortable enough, right? Understanding them well enough that you can then cram more concepts on top of those, making room in your calendar to study and complete assignments. And not just that, you also have to make room for growth, for personal growth as a person, as a graduate, as a student. And beyond that, you've got to make room for more people in your life, your study groups, lunch groups, coffee groups, keeping Starbucks in business, right? Your Dungeons and Dragons group, because college life is not just about studying. I mean, that is the place where we make some of our deepest friendships at. We're going through so much. Most students that go into college are in their late teens, early 20s. There are so many changes. The world has just opened up for you. And 
you've got aspirations, you've got dreams, and you want to tackle them. And you go through so much with your peers that you do build lifelong friendships. So it's all about opening up possibilities and building the kind of confidence that motivates you that propels you that keeps you going despite the challenges that life is inevitably going to fling at us every once in a while. So there is a lot to celebrate. And of course, there's the whole planning aspect of it, right? We had to decide whether we were going to do dinner, whether we were going to have a party later on, how exactly that was all going to work out. And I kind of tend to be last minute on some things. I mean, I it's just, I don't know, my ADD being overwhelmed. And so getting to this point of what are we going to do for all of the guests that are coming was a little haphazard, to say the least. So I think it was pretty easy for me to just make the decision that we were going to make small gifts for everybody because the graduation for Sophia started at four and it was going to run about two, two and a half hours. And then afterwards, there's pictures, there's meeting classmates, family, all of that sort of thing. And I thought, you know, we're not going to even be able to get to a restaurant until about 830 and everybody's going to be famished and fainting by that time. So we started looking for things that were suitable for gifts. And like a lot of things, it looks good on paper. But in reality, these things never work out because you're doing it at the last minute. We found some cookies that were printed with 2023 and congratulations, graduate, but they were quite small. And so we thought, well, that's not really going to be enough of a gift. And then I came up with the idea of getting these cellophane bags. And I got cellophane bags that are really big. They're like 12 by 18 inches. I don't know what I was thinking. So now we've got to fill these big cellophane bags. I know I could have sent them back. But at a certain point, you're just kind of like running against the clock. And this is why I should be doing this stuff way earlier, but I didn't. So Sophie suggests going to a store that I had never been to. And she said they have a lot of things there. Maybe we can find something to put in these bags. It's just one of those places where, you know, I don't have parties that often. My kids are grown. So it just wasn't a destination place. But we got there during rush hour and I'm in the right lane getting ready to turn into the driveway when I start hearing a siren, a police siren. And it's so much traffic backed up behind and in front of me that I knew this officer wasn't behind me, but I couldn't tell where the siren was coming from because of that Doppler effect. The sound is just bouncing off of everything that's around. So I start to turn into the driveway and I see this police officer in there doing these odd maneuvers. Like I could tell things were not well inside of this parking lot. He didn't have lights on, but this siren was very near me and I was confused. I thought that the sound was coming from his car. And so then he moved out of the way and I start to move forward. And just as I did that, this officer, this is where the sound was coming from, 
swoops around me and we almost got into a car accident because I had let my foot off the brakes. I was going to just pull ahead. And there were about nine or 10 cop cars inside of this lot. And I was like, we are not shopping here tonight. And this is, you know, again, this is the stuff that happens when you wait until the last minute because it's Murphy's Law. Everything and anything that can go wrong is going to go wrong and you just have to deal with it. I mean, it all worked out and it's a funny story, but I am so glad that I did not hit that officer. It would have been, oh, it would have been so bad. So we ended up going to Daiso, which if you have never been there Now, this is a store that I have been to a few times because it's so much fun. They have the cutest and coolest Japanese items and and Asian items. We actually saw a bunch of Korean things in there, which was really nice. So we bought a few things from there. We found some filler in both of the school colors. We got some bubbles. Oh, we found these Cracker Jills. They weren't Cracker Jacks, they were Cracker Jills. They were uh, a special promotional edition of Cracker Jacks that were put out for women in sports. And so they represented girl power. And so we got some of those bags and a few other things. And then I come across strings of lights and bling, the light bulb went on in my head. And what I did was after we got everything in the bag, we opened up those strings of lights and lit up the bag, kind of like those really cool jars that you see people, decorators put together with the decorative balls that they put in there. And then they put the strings of lights in it, put like 10 of them across the table and make it look like a gorgeous dinner scene, right? So this is what I did with the bags and they turned out so cute, you guys. I'm going to post some pictures on my social media pages so you could see. And it was just a really cute idea. And especially when we gave them out at the restaurant, because it was dark in there. And so we had these lit up, I put them in my one of my carry on bags, so it was like a duffel bag. And we pulled them out all lit up and put them on the tables. And they were just really enchanting. I loved the idea. So we barely got those put together in the nick of time. And just before Sophie's graduation, we attended my niece's graduation. My niece Sierra graduated on Thursday from King Drew Magnet High School of Medicine and Science. And she's going to be moving on to college to pursue a degree in linguistics. Linguistics, so I'm super proud of her. And the graduation was followed by dinner. Now, the graduation was in Inglewood, and my sister had made reservations at a restaurant in Torrance. And because we made it there on time, Sophie's graduating the following day, right? All of a sudden, I'm like, oh, we should do dinner afterwards too. So we decided to do that. And I'm really glad that we did. But my sister freaked out me out. She must have called me at least six times on my niece's graduation day, texted me, she texted me, just to make sure that we definitely, without a doubt, were going to be at this dinner. And I told her, of course, we'll be there. So then she shared the restaurant was Madre in Torrance, 
In order to make her reservation for eight people, she had to leave her credit card number and it would be charged if we didn't show up. And there was a grace period of seven minutes. And if any guests did not show up, there was a charge of $20 for that person, 20 bucks per head that did not show up. And I was like, wait, what? (laughs) And she said, you know, the reservations are for 8.30 or 8.45. I don't remember exactly what time she made the reservations for, but it it was late. And she said, most restaurants aren't open at that time. So she goes, I just had to do it. And okay, you know, we can all be judgy, but I just explained how last minute I was with all of that stuff and how I almost got into a car accident with a police officer. So this is the stuff that you go through as a parent. I mean, we're just being real here. This is you go a little bit crazy because you get so overwhelmed with everything that's going on. So I'm thinking of this film. I think it's from the either the 80s or the 90s. It's Steve Martin and Sarah Jessica Parker, and it's called L.A. Story. And if you have not seen it, you must watch it. It is dated because it is from that time period. And I, I would love it, Hollywood. If there are any producers listening to me, please remake that film. It needs to be remade in modern times. It is such a perfect film. It's excellent. It's a huge parody on Los Angeles and Los Angeles culture. And it's just perfect. It's just perfect. And anyway, there is a scene in there where Steve Martin wants to take Sarah Jessica Parker's character out to dinner. And he ends up choosing this restaurant that's called Lidio, but it's spelled L apostrophe idiot. And in order to get in there, he needs to make an appointment, show up with all of his financial records, sit with the chef, the finance officer, the owner of the establishment, and they go thoroughly through all of his financial records. And then the chef says something to the finance officer, and the finance officer says, If we were to allow you to be at this restaurant, what would you order off of the menu? And Steve Martin says something like lobster. And they have this little tete-a-tete between the two of them. And the chef says, no, you may have the chicken. And Steve Martin's like, okay, I'll take the chicken. And I literally thought of that scene when my sister's giving me all of this background on this restaurant that we're going to. And I'm just thinking, oh my God, I'm not telling anybody that we're having dinner tomorrow until I actually make reservations somewhere that's reasonable. But I will say, since I'm talking about the restaurant, the restaurant itself is beautiful. It's Oaxacan food. So it's Oaxaca, Mexico. It's just got this very old world, comfortable, romantic ambience about it. There was a band playing. It was really lovely music from that region. And the service was phenomenal. And apparently they're known for their mezcals. I did not have a mezcal. I am an IPA girl. It's like the easiest thing. I will look through menus and I'll look at their whole entire list of specialty drinks. And I don't like sweet drinks. I don't want a margarita. I don't want a daiquiri. I don't want anything that's going to be sweet. I don't even want a Paloma. So I normally don't order any of those drinks, but they are known for their mezcals. 
The food, I will say, is not memorable. Like I said, the service was great. But I think it's the type of place that you could go to for drinks and appetizers, and you would have a great time. It's just a gorgeous restaurant. I, you know, I can't emphasize that enough. So then the next morning, Sophie and I are on this mission to find a restaurant. And, you know, I've lived in the South Bay for my whole life, practically. I moved here when I was in fifth grade. And I know a lot of restaurants in the area. And of course, we did searches on the internet and everything. And I just kept coming back to this really wonderful little Italian restaurant in Hermosa Beach. It's called The Bottle Inn. And that's where we settled. If you have not been there, make a reservation and go. It is just the most charming, quaint, romantic, old world Italian place with a Cali vibe. And the service is phenomenal. The food is out of this world and they give you a lot of it. So you know how pasta is. It always tastes better the next day. And so it just gets kicked up a couple of notches, but it's fantastic. So that was such a great and to all of the madness leading up to it. And I know that there are so many families out there that have gone through the frenzy of preparing for graduation. And it's just such an exciting time. You know, it's not it's not a holiday. It's not a birthday. I mean, this is and, and those are very important times in our lives. There are such family uniting events. But graduations are a time when our kids shine and everybody comes together just to celebrate that, to celebrate hard work and achievement. And that's such an awesome and unique thing. And so then, of course, there's trying to figure out what you're going to wear and all of that stuff, which I... I left a pile of clothes that was probably two feet high on my bed each one of these days because I couldn't figure out what I wanted to wear. But, you know, I got dressed. I got there. It was great. So, you know, you get there and you know you're going to be sitting through speeches, like a lot of speeches. And I often listen to speeches or watch films, um, anything where people are presenting to other people something, you know, whether it's on stage at a theater or on the silver screen or the television, YouTube video, whatever it is, um, or a speech at a school. I listen differently because these are crafts that I practice. These are things that I'm very interested in. I've got my podcast. I work in film. Even writing, you know, when I read, these are the things that really resonate with me and are integral and in a way innate to me. You know, I... I don't know how you describe something that you love, but they are things that I love. And so I look at them differently because I'm trying to learn how was that done? What were the words that this person used? How did they connect with the audience? How can I tweak what I'm doing a little bit so that I come closer to that mastery that that person had? And I also look for things that I definitely don't want to do. And speeches are really, really, really hard to craft for a million reasons. 
I mean, first of all, you're expected to stand in front of a live audience and deliver a speech. That can cause so much anxiety already. There's so much that goes into it. You you literally have to become an actor in many ways to deliver a speech. You've got to sound natural, but stick to what you've written. When I used to produce storytelling events, one of the things that I would tell the storytellers was practice, practice, practice. Stand in front of a mirror, record yourself, practice until your speech is second nature to you. You've got it memorized so well that you can deliver it without looking at your paper and with all of the natural emotions that a first time telling of a story would evoke. And the speech needs to motivate, inspire, connect in a relatable way, connect with that audience and be inclusive of the wide variety of experiences and perspectives that are in that audience. You've got to make that audience feel like you are speaking to them at various points of your speech. They might not connect with everything, but the overall arch of your speech, the scope of what you're talking about is relatable to them. And that's a tall order because now you're talking about connecting directly with the human experience using only your perspective, only your experiences, only what you know. Sure, there's some research that goes into it, but all of us generally look at the world through our lens of experiences and history. And so as a writer, you've got to start somewhere, right? You've got to plant that seed of the idea of motivation, of inspiration. And that generally starts with the question, what motivates me. And that's great. But writers, speakers can very easily get caught up in an essay about themselves, about their history, the generation before them who has helped them get to where they are. And so they have a speech that they're incredibly passionate about And they deliver with conviction because they've written it for themselves. It's all about their struggles and their story. And it's completely unintentional. It just, the speech just goes there. So one of the things with speeches is after you've written all of that, you have to go back and read it and be really honest by creating a checklist. Does this meet the goal? Is this motivational? Sure you're probably motivated by it as the writer. Will this motivate the audience? Does this speak to the audience? Or is this speaking to me? And I think that's one of the hardest things that writers have to be really conscious of, just really vigilant that they're sticking to the goal of what they're writing, and they're sticking to the audience to whom they're writing. When I write, when I'm sitting with another group of writers and we're critiquing each other's work, I often ask others specifically to critique what I've written as though they were first time avid readers of any material, not 
my material, but any material, because I know what I want to say. I want my audience to know what I'm talking about. I want them to feel it. I want them to be immersed in my scene, in my dialogue, in what I am sharing at a core level. And the only way to do that is to make it relatable and to touch each audience member at various times of your speech and make them feel seen. If you're just asking them to look at you, at a certain point, they're going to look away. They're just going to say, you know, that's enough. Unfortunately, it's just an unreasonable expectation. And especially in this age and time that we live in, where everything's coming in sound bites, where everything's a tweet, where everything is on TikTok, and it's just microseconds sometimes of stimulus that's coming through, it's hard enough to get attention just for seconds in the sea of attention-seeking stimulus that's out there. Imagine trying to hold an audience's attention for 10 to 20 minutes. You must connect with them. You must make them feel seen, or they really are going to feel like a captive audience. So that's the dilemma, right? You've got to write something really motivating and you have to be really aware of who you're talking to and what the goal of your reach is, what your purpose is in providing that speech. I think the best place for these speeches, because they're very important, it's so grounding to know where you came from to know what your personal challenges are, to know your story. It's your identity. And it is what's going to motivate you to move on to the next level because you've gone back and done the work. You've taken those mental snapshots of where you've been and where you've gone and projected into the future of where you're going to be going So give those speeches at the after celebration. Give those speeches at the party where your family and friends have gathered that really want to know about you on a more intimate level than a large audience that's going to walk away and perhaps never have the opportunity to get to know you beyond that moment. You want them to walk away with a phrase, with an image, You want them to walk away with a feeling that you inspired in them. And when you turn them off, you've turned off the opportunity to be able to do that. So maybe the answer is to write two speeches. One, that really motivates you. And then you use that because that is a very important document to treasure, like, put it in your scrapbook, put it in an album, frame it and hang it on the wall where you could see it every day to motivate you. Yeah, I did that. And I can do that again. And I can do it bigger and better. And I'm going places. But when you're giving a speech to an audience, you need a second speech. Use that first speech that motivates you as the stepping stone that is going to catapult you to the speech that's going to motivate others. That said, there were learning moments in some of the speeches, specifically at Sierra's high school graduation. So King Drew Magnet High School of Medicine and Science 
is an inner city school. Depending on which website you read, they have between a 97% and a 99% graduate rate. So they are way above average in that regard. And 70% of the graduates meet UC and CSU entrance requirements. And they also provide a unique opportunity by partnering up with hospitals, uh, local clinics, labs, for their students to have learning opportunities outside of the classroom. So it's a really cool school and there were so many graduates that deserved to be celebrated and I'm really proud of them. There was one speaker at this graduation who knew her audience, her neighborhood, who was responsible for founding this school in 1982 with 60 students because the schools that were in the inner city were not providing this level of education. Her speech wasn't for me. Her speech wasn't necessarily for anybody who was sitting in the stands as witnesses to the graduates. Her speech was to those graduates. But simply by being there, I was able to hear what she had to say. And There were a few times where she made some statements about the things that go on in those neighborhoods that uh, really made me pay attention. Not because I don't know that these things go on, but one of the statements that she made was that that day made her happy and that she had been happy many times in her life, but she was particularly happy that day and that she was really thankful for all of these graduates who were there. And then she said, I am thankful every morning when I wake up that it's not because of gunfire. That kind of pulls you out of your passive listening of a speech. You you know, when you go and listen to a speech, there's already an expectation of what the speech is going to be about based on the event that you're going to. And so you expect the accolades, you expect those moments of pride You don't expect people to talk about gunfire. And there was a second time in her speech when she said something to the effect of, I know that your parents are so happy to have you home at the end of the day. I know that your mothers are so thankful for you because they know where you are and you're not lying dead on a street somewhere. There there were several thoughts that went through my mind. The fact that she so easily and normally was able to interlace these statements of violence and gently deliver them in a speech spoke volumes to how commonplace these incidents are in that community. How important this institution of higher education and collaboration with that community is to the success of those graduating It's the doors that open to allow them to move beyond the trappings of the community. And so I applaud them. I can't do anything other than cheer them on and hope for the greatest success. Hope that they continue to produce 97 to 99% graduates from their school. What an amazing opportunity for the kids of that community. Another thought was the privilege that I've lived in relative peace for the majority of my life in contrast to what I heard. 
Um, and I'm so close to these communities. I drive through them. I attend events in them. I have friends who live in these communities. And the contrast is almost inconceivable of how sharp it is based simply on these invisible lines of division. You know, it, it took us 20 minutes to get there. I'm going to interrupt myself because, you know, when you have to park in a parking structure for an event, you have to keep going to the next floor and the next floor, that you're probably going to be there for quite a while trying to get out. So this is a reminder to me (laughs) to avoid the parking structure at all costs. If I have to walk and take a bus from where I park, (laughs) that may be happening in the future. Call an Uber. Uh, We parked on the rooftop you kind of have this window, right? This sweet spot where the event is over and you better race to your car and get out before that traffic line builds up. And we were on course to beat it, but we did end up staying and chatting and realizing that we had gotten on the other side of that window of opportunity and just needed to wait for the traffic to thin out. So we were there for about 30 minutes and then we thought this can't take very much longer. And I'm telling you, we were stuck on the rooftop for 45 minutes or more. What ended up happening is there weren't a lot of people parked on the roof. So there was a lot of spaces on either side of cars. And they started doing that whole back and forth, back and forth, until they were pointed towards that line. And we were at the very end. So there's like six or seven cars in front of us that are all out of patience. And every single one of them is going to figure out how to merge into this line, which meant that I wasn't going to move for a really long time. We were facing the sunset and it was a really pretty sunset. So it wasn't that big of a deal. But the thing that was really stressful is if you were listening to me earlier in this episode, I had mentioned that my sister made reservations at a restaurant with really high penalties if you did not show up. She literally had to sign this contract. And I forgot to mention then that they would not seat everybody until your entire party was there. So there were a lot of um, prerequisites (laughs) to be able to eat there. And my sister had gotten there and uh, wanted to know where we were. So I texted her back a picture of the predicament on top of this roof. I I was like, I'm still I'm still here. And she's like, oh, my God, you're kidding. You know, like this restaurant is serious. And we did eventually make it out of there. Once we were out on the street, it was clear roads all the way into Torrance. I really don't think it took us even 20 minutes to get to the restaurant. And by that time, everybody knew that we were stuck on a rooftop somewhere in Inglewood. So they all went and kind of did their own thing and were trying to get back by the time that the countdown began, right? By the time that the reservation time was in full effect. And uh, we ended up kind of being like the first ones there. Everybody showed up about five minutes later, but we got there probably 20, 30 minutes before the actual reservation. And they did seat us a little bit earlier. So that was nice. I mean, the service was really good. The contractual agreement to be able to eat there is crazy. But like I said, we did have a really good time. But 
I mean, that's just so much part of the LA story, isn't it? Being stuck in traffic, being stuck in a freaking traffic jam on top of a parking structure, on the roof of that parking structure for hours. It's, it is the same exact experience, whether you're in a traffic jam on one of the freeways, on Sepulveda Boulevard near the airport, on Crenshaw Boulevard at 5 p.m. on Hawthorne Boulevard. It doesn't matter. You might as well be on the rooftop of a parking structure, not moving. It just cracks me up. Anyway, getting back to the graduations, one of the things that I really appreciated about the El Camino College speeches was that they spoke about and honored and paid homage to the Tongva Indian tribes that lived in the area where that college currently is. And they were removed forcefully from the area. So there was a a nice speech at the beginning. I know that doesn't fix anything, but it was nice that they were honored and respected in that way. Also, following that, they spoke about the all African American community that was housed there. And they were all forcefully moved from the area in order to allow the building of El Camino College. So really amid the celebration and the chaos of being prepared, preparing for it, uh, trying to get to restaurants that are going to take your firstborn if you don't show up on time, there was really a lot of seriousness in both of the ceremonies that I went to in the speeches. A, a lot of talk about disenfranchised communities, the struggles of minorities, and it really speaks to the fact that we all can do better, that we all live in this same community, and we really need to spread kindness whenever we can. So I'm going to end with please be kinder than you think that you need to be. And to all of the graduates, congratulations. I really am so inspired by your hard work and your efforts. You are the up and coming generation. You are the new leaders. And I cannot wait to see where your path takes you. Cheers. Here's to many more successes in your future. Be sure to check out the show notes for selected links and keep sending me your questions and comments. I read all of them, even if I don't always respond. Please take a moment to rate this episode because your rating really does move this podcast closer to the top of searches so that my friends and I can reach more people. I'm looking forward to sharing more upcoming in the company of friends talks with you. So be sure to follow me on the socials and the dot com all at the Queen Trail podcast. That's T-H-E-Q-U-A-I-N-T-R-E-L-L-E podcast. I am Syl Annan, the Queen Trail And until next time, I wish you passion, perseverance, ambition, confidence, success, kindness, elegance, and beauty.